Show with your host, Jeff Williams. This weekend marks yet another of the seminary events of the year, although admittedly it is probably the most confusing. <clears throat> Easter, as we are told, is when we celebrate the birth and death of Jesus and in turn his resurrection. And we do this by eating a bunch of chocolate bars and cuddling some bunny rabbits, stuffed bunny rabbits, real ones. Adoptions for pet rabbits go through the roof at this time of year, and the Humane Society will happily tell you a lot of these rabbits go on to unpleasant fates, either abandoned or returned to the shelter out of pure neglect. <clears throat> no matter. It all sounds good and wholesome, until you realize that this holiday of Easter is a complete anachronism on the modern Christian calendar. Now what an anachronism means is something that's out of time or place. So an anachronism could be something as simple as in Doctor Who, when a police box from the 1950s appears in 2009 London, or a machine as complicated as the Ankythera mechanism appears hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, before humanity should have been able to develop such a thing. Well, Easter is one of the cases where you have a holiday that is definitely out of time and out of touch with the rest of the world. See, the modern Christian calendar is primarily based off the solar calendar, which is the calendar you're familiar with. <clears throat> Twelve months equally divided and each one dedicated to their own pagan gods. January, as we've covered before, is named after Janus, the two-faced god and that god guards the threshold between years, just as he used to guard the portals. Now, poor February was victimized by two different emperors to satisfy their egos. <clears throat> that was Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar. Both of these men changed the calendar, the solar calendar, to have months named, named after them, Julius having July and Augustus having August. And what they did was strip a day, sorry, well, two days from February to make the months they named after themselves better. Because bigger is better. And an emperor, who of course would be deified to become a god, which is called apotheosis, needs a bigger month than February was. So thus February got two days shorter and becomes February 28th or 29th on a leap year. But 
Royal Julius July and Royal Augustus August have big 31-day months. They probably would have tried to get away with 32, but that's a com- just complete speculation. And we've retained these completely unchristian shenanigans into modern times. It is fully possible to rename months. As a matter of fact, the French renamed every single month on their calendar following the French Revolution. The practice fell into disarray out of habit. After all, the revolution came on rather suddenly, went through through a few tumultuous years, and ultimately fell back into the same old pattern in janvier, février, mars, avril. The same names since ancient times were restored to their proper place. Once the revolution, the dictatorship of the proletariat were removed, the old order of kings and emperors was restored, at least until World War One. Now, <clears throat> the calendar can be reshaped as well. You see, Christmas always falls on December 25th, despite the fact that the birth of Jesus has been known for centuries not to have taken place in the month of December. There is some debate into what month it does fall in, but uh, December is decisively ruled out. But Christianity has no problem making its place with solar holidays. Halloween falls on October 31st. The various feast days of the saints which there's actually more saints than there are days in the calendar, so they had to reduce the number of saints. But those all fall on a solar calendar year. Yet, Easter is calculated according to the Jewish lunar calendar, which some might want to call the old Jewish lunar calendar, but the calendar is still being updated to this very day by, of course, the Jewish people. Now, the reason for this is probably pretty simple. Christianity evolved during a period when the Romans were ascendant, and trying to give a Jewish calendar to Roman people trying to come to grips with this new religion of Christianity probably wouldn't have gone over very well. So they simply translated over, found convenient dates, such as December 25th for Christmas, nailed that to their new calendar, and there you go, you've got Christianity. Except except for Easter. Now, the reason Easter moves around so much, it is pegged to about the same time as Passover. Because the final fee, the final slup, <laughs> the final lunch, sorry. Jesus had lunch before the final supper. I'm sure it wasn't as, as grandiloquent as the final supper, but uh, it was probably pretty good too. But Jesus' final days came roughly around the time of Passover. Instead of Christianity simply assigning a date to the calendar, they still make complex calculations to figure out when the Jewish Passover should fall and what what corresponding day goes on the solar calendar that we are all familiar with. Now, in some years, that day falls in March, and in some, it falls in April. It varies to a great deal, and to early people who were dependent on their priests, it must have been very confusing indeed. See, there was a time when calendars were nowhere near as widespread as now. There are no wall calendars or phone apps. There were specialized mathematicians who laid out the length of years, 
and toiled just so they could let the local farmer know when it was time to plant his crops. And of course, when it was time to bring his harvest to the temple, when it was time to pay his levies, his taxes, that was all done by an elite corps of mathematicians. Now, the same basic mathematicians have been doing this for 5,778 years so far. Because that is the first year at the beginning of the Jewish year clock. But as Zacharias Stitchin pointed out, it does not say that this is when the world was created. No, 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 no. 5778 was the year that the counting of days first started. Now you can argue with Zechariah Stitchin's many contentions and his points, but he raises a very valid one about about five, sorry, 5,778 being the start of the counting of days rather than the start of the world. You see, if we stick with the Bible of our, as our primary source, in the first creation story in Genesis 1.1, the humanity wasn't created to last, and naturally humans wouldn't start recording dates right away. They had a lot of other things to do, such as learning to survive, learning to get make their place in the new world, and figuring out what their relationship was with God, which is still something we are working on today. Now, according to archaeological finds, we do find pseudo-calendars carved out of antler and ivory that date back between 15 and 30,000 years ago. They're somewhat contentious, but these particular artifacts keep track of lunar cycles. Now, solar cycles are much more difficult to figure out, but a person can easily watch a moon wax and wane very many times within his one lifespan. You can do it 12 times a year, so however many years you want to live, times however many months, there you have how many cycles of the moon you can see. And of course the word month is derived from moon. Moon, the time for the moon to go around, well, to make a revolution from light to darkness and back again. As the moon doesn't really rotate, but it just the way the light reflects off of it according to the sun. Now, a solar cycle, however, requires a much more sophisticated understanding of mathematics and engineering. The ancient way of doing this was <clears throat> simply using a stick, and you you'd plant the stick in the ground and start recording where the sun's shadow dropped. Now, this basically is where you get the solstice idea. That if you've ever looked at a globe, there's that almost eight-like figure that shows, you know, um, September, December, July, and I'll admit I'm lousy at the whole solstice thing, but uh, anyways, everyone knows, and this exactly comes from watching where the sun's shadow reaches to from a stick. This is a step above observing the moon. This is actually sitting and planning, setting aside 365 days every day recording where the shadow is and realizing it moves just a little every single day. The very idea, the advent of a sun cycle, shows long-term organization and records. So when we look at megaliths like Stonehenge, it even shows us that there were massive works of construction built in ancient times for the sole purpose of keeping track of the cycles of time. 
Instead of just putting sticks in the ground at Stonehenge, they were erecting 30-ton blocks, stacking them on top of each other in elaborate formations just so they could predict when certain events would take place. That is how they could tell the past, the present, and the future, and there was an inner cadre of priests who specialized in keeping track of those exact movements, those exact patterns. So, for the average person like you and I, doesn't require specialized math, detailed calculations, or extensive construction. The lunar cycle is something that any ordinary person can do simply by looking up in the sky and thinking, it's a quarter this week, it's half next week, it's a full week after that. He can figure out the pattern fairly quickly. But as we've seen, the ruling classes, the Illuminati, hate anything normal people can do. There's a reason they label such things that normal people do as profane. Now, for the sacred part of the calculation, the yearly, or more importantly, the multi-year calculations, which we'll get into during another episode, you need specialists. And these specialists are supported by the labors of the common person, the profane. So the very sacred is born out of the labors of the profane. And these people are called sacred, and since ancient times, they've been a class apart. These are the people who were entrusted with the gifts of keeping records, the gifts of writing. At one point, writing itself, being able to record things, was considered almost a magical power. This is thousands of years ago. I doubt you could very well impress even the most primitive, isolated tribe by coming in and writing off Mary had a little lamb or whatever might come to your mind. They're not going to be very impressed until you show them how it can revolutionize their lives. But the fact is the scribes and the priests and the people collaborating to put their knowledge together, to put the solar cycle together, to put the cycles of time together, were almost magicians. While the farmer might know, every year about this time I should plant my crops, only the priest, only the official who listened to his mathematicians was able to say, this is tax time, this is when everything needs to be collected. And it was magical because it recurred on the same day every year, unlike the farmer who, though he tries he might, and with his own unique wisdom, on some days he might be better off, on some days he might be worse off, but people were more consistent when they listened to the priests. Now, this class who understood the solar cycle was always more important. This can be traced back, circuit of the sun and even more, as far as Babylon, whose emperor, sorry, whose empire goes back nearly 6,000 years. Coincidentally, very similar to the year 5,778 that the Jewish calendar currently says that it is. So, if the, this is basically 2000-3000 BC that the Babylonians are coming into, for, for, into, into the foreground, and that is about one to 2,000 years before even the Jewish people say they were created. So, that's right, we are still being influenced by the Babylonian culture, who maintained both a solar and a lunar year, and of course, the cult of priests who dedicated their life to coordinating the two together. The Catholic Church continues this tradition today, and while they claim more modern technology, the reasons and the methods remain primarily the same. 
There's two calendars. There's a few gifted individuals who correlate the two, just like two cogs and a wheel meshing together. And though they might not match exactly the same every year, the fact is, this is still one of the most sacred interactions between life and death that a human can experience. Now, the Catholic Church was, and the Jewish, Jewish temple as well, were heavily influenced by the Babylonian culture. In part, this is due to the initial conquests of the Jewish homeland and the people being taken to Babylon, made famous by the song by the rivers of Babylon, which I will not attempt to sing to spare the listeners at home such a horrific idea. But it is a wonderful song because they wept when they remembered Zion. That's right. The song makes references to reference to the diaspora from the Jewish homeland 3,000 years ago when the Babylonians first sacked it. And we're still influenced by that culture because, you see, the Babylonian chief god was named Marduk. Perhaps you've heard his name. And Marduk had a story where he was somewhat justly, somewhat unjustly accused of a crime. And they decided, if for punishment, they were going to bury him. Now, new evidence surfaced afterward, and they dug him back up, and finding him alive, declared he had been reborn. Interesting. So here we have a culture, 3,000 years before the birth of Jesus, having a man sorry, a god being entombed and coming out three days later, whole, fresh, and ready to go, just like the story of Jesus's resurrection. We're also told, well, we're also told repeatedly that Easter is not named after Ishtar, who is a Babylonian goddess. Yet, she too descended into the realms of death, and later on was rescued by her uncle. Once again, paralleling the resurrection tale of Easter. So we've got two Babylonian deities so far who have gone through the death and resurrection cycle, and Ishtar so happens to rhyme with Easter. But nope, as we're told, the word Easter has a German root, and the more modern interpretation of Eoster or Ostara, a German pagan goddess. A goddess who, in fact, is associated with fertility, rabbits, and spring. The happy side. The lovely side. None of the death and resurrection and burials and descending into the depths of hell. No. The German goddess wants you to have chocolate. She wants you to remember that this is springtime. And, quite honestly, that is the image most people have of Easter. Now... For comparison, the Orthodox Christians call it Pashka, and I apologize if I've mutilated that pronunciation, and they follow much the same system for dating, but instead of here, where we use Gregorian and Julian calendar, they use the Miletian calendar, which is an updated, corrected version of the Julian calendar adopted in 1924. However, although the Miletian calendar is a solar calendar, it involves much the same lunar calculations to find out when Easter, or rather, Pasha, falls. So, whether you call it Easter, Pasha, whatever else, there's 
a hundred tribal dialects that have say of different things, we have the same influences coming together there here. We have two customs that come together here. First of all, an ancient and powerful one of death and resurrection that predates even the counting of days, 5,778 years. This tradition is older than that. And a more modern one, let's call it medieval, because that was roughly when the Germanic gods were being replaced by Christianity, that's emphasizing rebirth, fertility, and the coming of spring. Now, it's not hard to see how the idea of rebirth would give idea or would lend would lend itself to having good things come along with it. After all, anyone who's been through a couple years, as most human beings have, they realize that after winter comes spring. And with spring, there comes bunnies and rabbits and new things growing and fresh food sources, which are very vital to people who've been cooped up in a cold, harsh winter. Or in the more southern climes during the rainy season, which is pretty brutal and doesn't allow for much collecting. But by mashing the two together, the Illuminati can still have you worshipping at their beck and call, paying homage to the old gods, and confusing you with sophistry about what their intentions are. They want you to buy their chocolate and turn up to worship services, so that you might again give your attention to their ritual that at its core celebrates life and death. And more importantly, the rebirth. But the most important thing is they do not want you to have control over time. The lunar element is discouraged. They want you to conform to their solar calendar, and if a holiday falls when they say it falls, then that's going to be where it falls. There are a few holidays like that on our own modern calendar. Um, they're encoded as Labor Day has to be a certain number of days. This, I think it's the first Monday after September begins, which changes from year to year, although it is understandable they want some stability in it. But unlike December 25th, it's the opposite end. But <laughs> we do all this, and the modern day, still at our master's beck and call. Going back to ancient times, you're going to find that there are also much more sinister reasons behind this solar and lunar divide. See, there's books of the Bible you're not allowed to read, and these are called the Apocrypha. Things like the Gospel of Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas, the Apocalypse of Adam, which is actually a very different book than you think it is, and most importantly and most famously, the Book of Enoch. Now, Enoch provides some very powerful words that give impetus to the need to use a solar calendar, but you're not supposed to be reading them, you're not even supposed to know about their existence. Of course, in the age of the internet, we naturally know a little bit more of these ancient texts than our forebearers could have. But I'm going to read you one of these forbidden texts. The Book of Enoch, verse 74, chapter 12, says, And the sun and the stars bring in all the years exactly, so that they do not advance or delay their position by a single day unto eternity, but complete the years with perfect justice in 364 days. The end of the quote. So this is basically saying a year is best calculated by a solar cycle of 364 days. 
will allow a difference of one day between ancient and modern accounting methods. After all, our, our technology is vastly more advanced. But then, why would the priestly caste, who are using the lunar year as far back as 6,000 years ago, suddenly switch to a solar calendar? And more importantly, why would they keep using a lunar calendar that was hopelessly obsolete? You see, if the solar year could calculate the celebration of the birth of Jesus with such accuracy, why is it considered erroneous in predicting the day of the anniversary of his death? And as stated before, that is simply because the hidden ones never truly give up on their own traditions. They mass them in new forms. Few people in the Western world attend church outside of holy days, yet virtually everyone of every religion, creed, and belief expects chocolate and bunnies and similar celebration ideas and rituals on this day. The Illuminati have created a device, a need, through which ritual rebirth is continuously celebrated. Death has become sweet. Annihilation is impermanent. So long as you accept their sacrament, their salvation, you gain eternity. And just as this priest can symbolically change the wafer and the wine into the body and blood of Christ, modern media empowers ancient rituals of rebirth with a new impetus, surging us on into a spending spree on candy and stuffed choice for our children and loved ones. Now this is not meant as an attack on the church as such, merely how its own rituals have been perverted. Because the spiritual cannibalism of the Eucharist, that is, the eating of the body of the blood of Christ, is now generalized into the feast and fertility that's associated with Easter. That's the power of the criminal globalist elites. They're always at work, subverting our traditions and substituting their own reality in the back of our minds. You can't watch the moon and decide what is the exact time that the world goes around. No, use our calendar. We will tell you when to celebrate. But remember, you don't need their salvation. You are an eternal being. You are a creation of the Most High. And by that very means, your essence is eternal. But... We'll turn to the tradition of this show, which is to give thanks for its continuing rebirth, its continuing existence, and we give thanks for those who continue to support us. Thank you to Pipe Choir for their anthem, Stand Up, which is our intro music, reminding us to stand up and not be swallowed by the morass of information thrust onto us by the globalist Illuminati. Special thanks to a view from Space Facebook group, who always gives this show great support. More thanks go out to Spooky, Weird, and Cool Facebook group who have been staunch supporters of the show since the very beginning. A quick reminder that Cemetery Island by Jeff Williams, your host, is available now on Amazon Kindle. It's a suspenseful tale of how a young man who's been admitted to a psychiatric institution discovers that people working towards his rehabilitation have their own goals in mind, ones that are diametrically opposed to bringing him back to normal. There'll be a link in the description on that one. And also, The Secrets of Solomon, which is an expose on an ancient Israelite king and reveals parts of his life not covered in his life. Again, that link will be available in the comments. 
but most importantly, as it is our tradition, special thanks to you, the listener, for inviting this show into your home tonight. 